0: And we're going to continue today with our story about history. It's really about his story. I, I just thought a couple of things um, before I start. I was thinking about how we you know, view our past, how we view our lives, um, and how oftentimes we recreate history or we rewrite history. So as we go through life, we, we think certain things, we do certain things, and as we move on in life, we don't like to recall or remember the things that we did before. We like to think about them and say, oh, well, maybe it didn't really happen like that, and we, write, we rewrite our history so it's a little bit more palatable for us. There's a day coming when all history will be spoken, and it will be his history, uh, he, has a, he has a record of every thought. He has a record of every deed. He has a record of every word that we say. He has a record of everything that we say. And uh, one day when we stand before him, history will show itself to be true and his story about us will be revealed. And if, if Jesus is not covering our history, we're in deep trouble. We need God to rewrite our history for us we can't change our history we have done our things we've done the things that we've done and Jesus says well I'll fix that for you if you put your trust and faith in me I will change that for you I will blot out that from my history book so there'll be nothing written about you in the history books in heaven but he will have his day where his story will be will be will be uh, declared so today I want to talk to you about being part of history. God is searching for men and women for his story. Now I'm praying with that word because history and his story are the same thing as far as I... God is looking for people to do history, to do his story. And the eye, it says in Second Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9, it says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. So God is looking for men man and he's looking for women to be part of his story, to be part of what he wants to do. He's looking for men and women to stand up and to be doing something for him in our generation. Uh, Isaiah 63 tells us that he looked and there was no one to help. And I wondered that there was no one to uphold. So when, he, when God started looking, he started looking into, 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 into human history and started looking for a person, just a person to stand up and say, Lord, I want to be a person who's counted for you. I want, to, I want to live your story out in my life. I want to live your story out in my life. I want to be part of your history. And he couldn't find anybody. That's really sad, isn't it, when you think about it? Ezekiel chapter 22 verses 30 to 31 says, So I sought for a man among them who would make a wall and stand in a gap before me on behalf of the land, that I would not destroy it, but I found no one. So God's not looking for very much. He's just looking for a man to stand in the gap or a woman to stand in the gap and to intercede so that the wrath of God won't be visited upon the unrighteousness of men. He's looking for people who stand in the gap between... God's uh, uh, wrath against unrighteousness and those who are unrighteous and to plead for his mercy for those who are unrighteous. He's looking for someone. God's eyes searching around. He says, I can't find anybody. I can't find anybody to be part of my story. In Isaiah 68, when God finds somebody, he finds Isaiah. And Isaiah, Isaiah verse 6.8 says, so I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and whom will go for us? And then I said, this is Isaiah said, here I am I, send me. So he's now responding to this heart's desire that God wants to send somebody. God wants to use somebody in his story. He's looking for somebody and, and, and um, Isaiah says, here I am, use me. If you go and look at Jeremiah, when Jeremiah is, is, is faced with the call of God on his life, Jeremiah says, well, I'm a bit young, you know. See, God says... I'm so desirous and so passionate for someone. He says, I don't care how old they are. And he said to Jeremiah, he says, But the Lord said to me, don't say I'm a youth, for you shall go down to all to whom I send you, and and whatever I command you, you'll speak. God wasn't worried about his age. He wasn't worried about that. He was a fact he was a youth. He said, I'm looking for someone to stand in the gap. I'm searching for somebody to make history for me. That's what God was looking for searching for a person he's searching today for a person he's looking looking and when he finds that person he says I'm going to send you out to rough places I'm going to send you out to difficult places I'm going to send you out amongst wolves that are going to eat you he says it's tough you might be young but it's really tough out there and he says in, the, in Matthew chapter 10 16 behold I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves what happens to sheep in the midst of wolves they get ripped apart So God is looking for someone who is willing to be ripped apart for him. Someone who's willing to take it and go out there and do something very tough for him. It's not going to be easy. God knows that, but he's looking for someone. He's searching for someone. He says, therefore be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. We have a special place in history. We have a special place in his story. In Acts chapter 17, when Paul was actually going to Ephesus, he he was looking in Ephesus and he saw a whole lot of uh, shrines and idols that were created. And he, he went there and he got to speak before the area I think they called, uh, the, the people who are there who are wise and they listen to, to wise stories, he got to talk to them. And this is part of his address. And in this address where he's speaking to these people in Ephesus, he makes these statements. He says, God who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, since he gives life and breath to all things he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on the face of the earth and this is the thing I want you to look at now and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwelling so that they should seek the Lord in hope that they might grope for him and find him though he is not far from each one of us for well, in him we live and move and have our being. Now I want you to take note of the words in blue. It says, And he has determined the preappointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings. God in his sovereign will determines where you are living right now, your appointed time. He has your name in history. When we look at multiculturalism, we think, you know, look at the things that are happening with multiculturalism. Look at the Islamic riots now there because somebody made a movie that they didn't like, and we think multiculturalism is a really bad idea. Multiculturalism is not a bad idea. It is God's idea. You know why it's God's idea? Because God appoints the pre-appointed time where people will live. And if multiculturalism has come to Australia, it's because God has determined to bring those from other nations into Australia for one purpose, one purpose that he would save them, that he would give them opportunity to find grace in Jesus. If we won't go over there, he's going to bring them to us. If we're not going to go into the, into the fields and into the harvest place where, where the, the need is, he says, well, don't worry, I'll bring them to you. I've an appointed time for you and an appointed time for them. I brought them to this place for this appointed time in history. I have no problems with multiculturalism. It's the greatest opportunity that we have to do something powerful for Jesus. And he's looking for someone who recognizes that it's time. It's time. It's his story that needs to be filled out now in our our generation. We go down to Woodridge and there's 158 nations living in that one suburb. Of the 168 nations that are in the world, there's 158 living in Woodridge. We have a world in Woodridge. One whole world in Woodridge. And God says, what are you doing with the world? I'm looking for someone to stand in the gap. We don't want to sit in a little circle, a closed circle. We don't want to sit where we are comfortable in our groups. We want to stretch ourselves and reach out and reach out and reach out because it's time for his story to be made known. And he's looking for someone to do that. He's looking for someone to do that. You know, God knows the numbers of the days. He knows exactly how many days we live. You say, well, I don't know how long I live. I don't know how long I've got left on this earth. I might die this afternoon. You don't know. You don't know how long you've got left. But God knows the number of your days. It says in uh, Psalm 139, verse 16, Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be." So in God's book, he has all Olga's days written in God's book. He knows exactly how long Olga is going to live. He knows how long Michael will live. He knows how long Don will live. He knows exactly what the length of your days is going to be. He is the beginning of those days, and he is the end of those days, and he sees your whole life. It's all there in front of him. What he hasn't got control of and what he can't do is the content of your days. He knows the length of your days, but you are in control of the content of those days. And before God you'll stand, be judged for the content of those days. He says, you might have 55 years. That's all you're going to get. And he will judge you according to the content of those days in those 55 years that you have. Whoa. Whoa. We can't prolong our lives and we can't shorten it. God knows the length of our days. He knows us and he says, you determine. He says, how long and and what you do in those days. So we make choices to be part of his story. We make choices to be part of what God wants to do. We make choices to do that. And in 2 Timothy, we read in verse 2, verses 20 to 21, in a large house, there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for noble purposes and some for ignoble purposes. So there is a vase to hold flowers and there's a toilet on which you can go. There are two receptacles of water. One takes waste matter and the other one looks with, put flowers in it and makes it look beautiful. One for noble purposes and one for not so noble purposes. You have to choose now what you're going to be. If a man cleanses himself from the latter, he says, if you cleanse your life from the sin that you're committing, if you cleanse your life from the ways in which you used to live, if you decide in God that you're going to walk with him, he says, you will be an instrument for noble purposes, made wholly useful to the master and prepared to do any good work. So you decide what you're going to be used for. You can be used for noble purposes or ignoble purposes. It's your choice. You have to decide now what's going to be written in the book, history book about your life. You have to decide whether you're going to be the man and the woman that stand up before God and say, God, I want my life to count for you. I want you to live your story through my life. I want to be that man, to be that woman that is going to do your work and I want to stand there. I want my life to count for your story, God. This world is passing away and everything in it is passing away. The thing that remains is that which is in God. If your life is lived with hardly anything happening with regard to God, then there will be hardly anything happening when you get up there in terms of what have you done with Jesus? What did you do with your opportunity in history? What did you do? But if you recognize that you've been given a moment in history A moment in his story that can make a difference, you will stand up and you'll say, Cleanse me, God, from everything that would defile me, so that I can make a difference for you. So that I can make a difference in history. God created us to be part of his story. In Ephesians chapter two, verse ten, it says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, with God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So God prepared beforehand that we should do good works. He did not prepare beforehand that I should live for the flesh. He did not prepare beforehand that I should build my own little kingdom. He did not prepare beforehand that I should pursue all the things that everybody else in this world pursues. He prepared beforehand that I should fulfill his story in this place. And it says there, the second, uh, in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 10, he says, he wants us to fulfill his intent and purpose. It says, his intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and the authorities in heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, God has a purpose. He has a plan. He wants you to be part of that plan, and he wants you to be part of that purpose. He's given you the opportunity to say, okay, I want to be part of that. He says, come work with me. Come work with me. Let's do something about this place. Let's do something about what's happening in the society. He says, I have an eternal purpose that was written a long, long time ago, and it's written in eternity. I want you to be involved in that. I want you to... He says, it's through the church. And some of you think, oh, well, I'm just doing my ministry over here. You know, my ministry is to do this thing over here. I'll do it over here by my, my ministry. God says, what are you doing? It's not about your individual ministry. He says, it's the purpose of the church. See, there's nothing, the whole world seeks after its own. There's nothing different about you. If you, I'll do my own little thing over here. I'll do what I want to do over here. I don't need anybody else in my life. Or I'll do what I want to do over here. Everybody does their own independent things. That doesn't glorify God. It's when you as a mass, a group of people decide to work together as one. That's different. You know, the world celebrates that. We go down and we look at sports people. We look at them in the sports stadium. We all sit around the sports stadium. We go, hey, oh, yeah, and they kick a hot ball over here and a back ball. There, yeah, and we all won. And we feel the power of a whole group. 40,000 people go, yeah, go Broncos, go Broncos. The guys on the team, they run together and they work together as a unit. They work together, they pass the ball and we sit there, isn't that fantastic? Look at the move, how they got that. Yeah, no one person, whole teams working together and we celebrate that. We come to church, we want to do our own independent thing. We want to do our own. God is not glorified by that. God is glorified when he, we work together in unity, where there is harmony, where we work together as one, where we stand together as one and we say, we are one. Let's do God's purpose. Let's do his eternal purpose together as one. That glorifies God. That lifts the name. Why? Because how else do you get all these different people to work together on one thing? You have to have one mind. And that one mind has to be his story. His story must be... Our passion, and we must work together for that. It's accomplished by ordinary people, nothing special or nothing spectacular about the people of God, they're extremely ordinary. In Acts chapter 4, verse 13. They saw the courage of Peter and John. This is after they had healed this man that was lame at the, at the, at the gate, beautiful. And they'd raised him up, silver and gold have I not. And they said, But what we have, we give unto you in the name of Jesus Christ. And he, he got up, he, he, he was healed. He ran into the temple, leaping and jumping and praising God. And everybody's going, Whoa, look at that! Look at the. They, this, they healed this man. And they, they looked at them and they said, You know, listen to them and they said, But they're ordinary people. They're just ordinary people. They're nothing fancy about them, nothing smart, nothing, you know, they weren't very good looking, you know. They didn't have very fancy clothes on. They didn't have nice shoes on. They were just ordinary people, common, ordinary people. They saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled. They weren't educated. They were ordinary men and they were astonished and they took note that they had been with Jesus. And when you go to the book of uh, Corinthians Paul actually praises this out. He says, you know, you Corinthians, well, look at it, he says, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 25, he says, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men, you see, you're calling, brethren. and he says, he's looking at the church, he says, look at you now, he says, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. So he's saying, you know, there's not very many people in here with college or university degrees. Not very many educated people in this place, says Paul. Not very many mighty ones, high officials, politicians. Not very many rich people here, noble people. He says, but his God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. That means he he took things that people wouldn't think God would use. He takes people that God doesn't then to... He doesn't look at you and say, because you haven't got a mind or you haven't got brains or you haven't got a, you know, he says, I can use anyone. I'm looking for anyone. You don't have to be intelligent. You don't have to have a a degree. You don't have to go to school for 500 years. You can just trust Jesus and Jesus will trust you and work with you. He says, foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things that are mighty. God takes us to things that are not to confound the things that are. He says, the base things of the world and the things which are to despise, God has chosen the people that God is choosing are not very significant looking people. Just ordinary, everyday people. And God chooses them, and the reason why he uses them is summed up in that last verse, last line. He says, that no flesh should glory in his presence. So what God is interested in is that not that you become great, but that his name be great. That you present his story. And that you, as you work together with others and you learn to pull together with others and you learn to listen and work in those places and you're not very not very intelligent, not very mighty, not very strong, you're all weak. But together, because you love him, he makes a difference and he gets glorified because it's him that receives the glory. It's his story that you are doing. Today we, we go and we run and we look for people we look for fancy man let's come and see this one over here he's got man he's got power for the hour we run over to him and, oh look at that man I hope he can touch me so that I can get some power from God God looks at that and says why are you putting glory in the flesh and so that one man's godliness is where you get this from it comes from God it comes from Jesus this is where the glory comes from every one of you can just trust him every one of you can do something for him so don't judge by appearances. I mean, then when Eli, uh, Samuel goes to, um, go to appoint um, David as uh, the next king after Saul, um, Eli brings up all his, um, his sons, the big strong ones, and he stands them in front of him and says, No, nah, not that one, not that one, not that one, not that one. I don't want that one. And then he picks David, who's just a ruddy-faced kid. He's just a teenager. He's only about 13 or 14 years old. He's just a boy. He says, This is the one. And this is what he said. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at the appearance of his physical stature because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. So God is searching. He's looking for hearts that want to do something for him, who want to work together for him. That's what he's looking for. He's looking, searching for someone to stand in the gap. And he says, if you're... Weak in the physical, don't worry, he says. I'll make you strong in the spiritual because I'm going to come inside. And it says in, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he says, But you will see, receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria to the ends of the earth. He says in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20 to 21, And now unto him who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, unto him be glory in the church. You know, God says, I don't care whether you're weak. I don't care whether you haven't got an intelligence in terms of you're not educated. I don't care whether you feel that you're coping or not. I don't care whether you're male or you're female. You know what? If you come to me, I will fill you with my spirit. I will make you able to do what you have to do. I will give you everything that you need for life and godliness. Just come to me. I'm looking for someone to stand in the gap. God is looking today. That's what we've been chosen for. God has chosen, we are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people that we may proclaim the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his marvellous light. That's who we are. We are chosen people. But there's a danger, friends, and this is the danger. You got this opportunity now to think, right, Mark, God is looking for someone. That means he's looking for me. But, you know, I kind of don't believe that God will do anything. You know, you can hang out there and you can work real hard. But, you know, God won't do anything good and he won't do anything bad. You're just going to do it all by yourself, Mark. And Zephaniah actually warns about this in this passage. He says, and it shall come to pass at that time that I will search Jerusalem. Now, just call Jerusalem the church. He's going to search the church. Because Jerusalem is a picture of the church. He says he's going to search it with lamps, and I will punish the men, and you can put women in there too, who are settled in complacency. Just settle. And who say in their heart, the Lord will not do good, nor will he do evil. As though it won't make any difference. A complacent attitude. You see, our society says, don't get too excited about anything. Don't think that you can do anything really. I mean, the, the need is so big. What's a little person like you going to do about the big need that's out there? Your life is so insignificant. You don't have a big voice. You don't have, you're not tall. You don't have talent or skills. You don't have education. So what on earth will I do? Will I achieve anything? And Jesus says to you, I'm looking for someone to show myself strong on behalf of those whose hearts are loyal to him. I'm looking for someone. Friends, I want to challenge you today with this message. That when you sit here at this place, we are not coming to an event. This is not an event, Sunday event. This is a celebration of a body, a body that is active, So every one of us is active. Esther is active during the week. I'm active during the week. Natalie is active during the week. We are all active. We are one body under one Lord. And what we do as a body is so vitally important. God is looking for us as members of his body to make his story. He wants us to stand up and to be counted at the end. Now, we have to decide whether we're going to just ignore that or we're going to pursue that. So tomorrow morning, when you get up in the morning, you can turn the TV on and you can listen to the news that's coming at you. You can pick up your magazine and you can read all the glossy fashions. You can pick up the morning newspaper and read all the horrible things that are happening around the world. You can think about your examinations or you can think about your holidays or you can think about whatever you're going to be doing. And you can fill your life with all the other stuff which is temporal here and now. Or you can wake in the morning and as soon as you open your eyes, you can say, Jesus, you're looking for a man. What do you want me to do today? And then he pulls us all together as men and women who have decided that we're going to make our lives count in history and we'll achieve something for God. That's a choice that you have to make. It's a choice that when we finish this service today, you have to decide what you're going to do with the rest of your life. God has a book. He's writing everything in the book. That book is history. We have to choose whether we want to live his story out or we want to live our story out. We go before him... We can say, Lord, I did it my way. I made the mistakes. I ate up the pain. I did things my way. Or we can stand before him and say, Lord, I lived for you. To be your person. To say your words. To go where you want me to go. What God is looking for is young men, young women, older men, older women, who decide that this is enough of their story and it's time to make his story count. Do you want to make his story count? I want to make his story count. I want, I want people to know about Jesus. I want to people to know about him. I want them to know about how great our God is. I want them to, I want to be leaving a mark in time which says, this person lived out God's story in time. You've been given an invitation today to do that. God says, I'm looking for someone. I'm looking for one who will do this for me. does he find a heart in you that says, Lord, here I am. Send me. Let's bow our heads. Father, we pray right now in Jesus' name that your word would stir us. Lord, that your Holy Spirit would now speak into our hearts. That our lives would count for you. Oh, the devil wants to fill us with everything else that is rubbish. The devil wants to distract us, to s- distract us from what truth is, to distract us from the message of this word, so that we achieve nothing for you, Lord. Your name is great, Father. Lord, the trees and the field, they clap their hands, Father. The sea roars, the stars speak continuously of your splendor. Everything in creation glorifies you, Lord Jesus. Help us. Lord Jesus, to be in sync with you, to work with you, to bring your story to those that are lost. We ask it in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. God bless you.